All right. We are in chapter four. We were discussing the difference between the two types of fear that the Alter Rebbe mentioned that motivate and are clothed in the performance of the negative mitzvahs, 365 negative mitzvahs. Now, the end of the last class, we started speaking about the difference between the quality, the property of kingship um, versus the 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 present being in the presence of the divine greatness and and the idea was is that kingship it is a property that it only is is only real in as much as that others are affected by it right there's no internal reality to kingship it's that sway that you have over others rather than something that's actually true of your own um, existence as you experience it yourself first person. So the idea being is that if you took a someone who is a this quality of kingship that we discussed yesterday, great, and, and they excel at that, and they are living alone in a desert island, there would be nothing discernible that differentiates them from a regular person. Whereas other qualities such as, say, wisdom, depth, um, fullness of spirit, things like that, those things do differentiate between one person and the other, and even within themselves. And so two people in the desert island, one who's more shallow and one who's deeper, they're, the way they live on the desert island by themselves would be very different, um, exemplifying the, the, the nobler state of one and the more, um, let's, see, let's just say the word, not so laudable state of the other. Now, with, with regards to Hashem, the, the role that Hashem plays in creation, that he is the source of life, purpose, meaning, order, structure, blah, 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 that all of the ways in which he affects reality are viewed as merely his kingship, his sovereignty. And it is true that he is king, that his kingship is... Um, far surpasses any kind of human kingship. For instance, you can't influence someone into existing. Um, you can influence their behavior, but you can't influence them into existing, whereas God can influence things into existing. So th there's a lot in which his kingship is far superior to us, but relative to God, that's called chitzenius or superficial. And the true greatness of God um, is something that would be true of God and experienced, so to speak, by God, independent of whether or not there is an ex external reality that he does or does not create. So that's what we discussed last time. Out of nowhere, huh? I hate when that happens. I also hate when that happens. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> Muting. Playing with the baby. Yes. Um... It it almost sounded like based on how you explained it and what the altar said that what the yeah what the altar said that the higher and lower level of fear was one was being in fear of God Himself, whereas one was being in fear of like God's um, honor or glory. I forget the words. So the way you explained it is one of is one of them is is being aware of Hashem's malchus and and how He manifests in this world and being aware of that and then one is 
being aware of Hashem as he is beyond that. Is that correct. So my correct. question my question is it's in order to have a feeling towards something or have awe or experience some kind of like intimate sense with something, you actually need to experience it. And by virtue of the fact that it's not a manifestation of Hashem in this world, we can't experience it. So how can we experience emotion in reference to it? It's almost seems impossible. So later on in Tanya, and, and Valdorba does make reference to this, this earlier in Tanya, but later on in Tanya, um, in chapter 42, the altar begins a discussion of what he calls the upper and lower fears, which basically parallels what we've been talking about here. Um, and, and there is an idea that he says that the ability to experience um, the fear that comes from being in his presence requires you to have an awareness of his presence. And as we're saying, awareness of his presence is the idea of him as he is transcending his influence on creation. And that requires you to transcend being a created being. And that means that that is, in some sense, actually a consequence, or if you want to put it, a reward for the proper observance of Torah and mitzvahs. In other words, like this, and this is what I wanted to get at. The distinction between these two types of fears is that if you are relating to God within the framework that you are exist in his create in his reality he created it's always going to be that first level the the fear of god as the king of kings something has to happen to transform your experience of reality in order for you to have the second fear and that thing that transforms your experience of reality is facilitated through the observance of mitzvahs um done in a proper way the idea being the idea being as 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 the, the the pasuk says the verse says that God commanded all of the mitzvahs in order that we should fear him. Meaning that, that, the, that it's not only like we're learning here in chapter four, that fear and love lead to the performance of mitzvahs, but it is also true the reverse, that mm-hmm. the performance of mitzvahs lead to love and fear. And specifically this sense of being in his presence, it is impossible to in um, your way into. You cannot merely contemplate or reflect on God's presence and then develop this kind of fear. It need, you, need to have, um, you need to have an altered perception of reality, which has to be catalyzed through a proper performance of mitzvahs. Now, it is also true, just one second, that a dry technical performance of mitzvahs is insufficient to achieve that. One needs to have a, their performance of mitzvahs basically um, be as, uh, as since and as heartfelt and as as possible and that and that um for reasons that we're going to get to later in tanya someone in this chapter and someone in later chapters actually brings god into the world we learned earlier the mitzvahs are the organs of god the, the, the limbs of god that make god actually present in the world and so when a person does mitzvahs in the right way um it creates the possibility that there is what for them to become aware of and reflect on and then they're contemplation can bring this the second type of fear but it is true that you cannot having a generic human experience even with the godly soul through your own efforts meditate your way into into this second fear 
Um, whereas the first fear, you most definitely can. So, and Zaldrim is going to be distinguishing between these fears throughout the Tanya ever so subtly, and then later on chapter 42 actually spends a lot of time distinguishing them as the, as the main point. Okay. Yes, someone else had a question. Yeah. So with mitzvot facilitating this like awareness, is that, would you explain that just by pointing us back to the conversation we had about them being Hashem's organs, or is there like a more straightforward way to explain why doing mitzvot helps to like facilitate, like I would think that doing mitzvot actually relates you to Hashem specifically as my creator. That's why I do mitzvot, right? Well, so, so, so the thing is, the thing is, we need to have much more of a discussion what mitzvahs are. And we haven't had that. We're going to have that in chapter four, much more of that. We're going to have that also in chapter 23. But that chapter, discussion, chapter 23, requires a thorough understanding of God's unity, which is explained at length in chapters 20 to 22. Um, and so we don't really have enough of the groundwork done to explain that. So w right now I'm just sufficing the idea that the limbs of the king, but, but really why does God need limbs? And really the, 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 there needs to be more elaborated on that. Some of that's going to be touched in this chapter um, and some is going to be touched, uh, touched later. Um, but one of the, th there's actually an interesting thing, which is, um, I, I guess while we're on the topic, I might as well mention, it. there are actually three levels of mitzvahs. Okay. Um, there's, there's a Maimar and there's Hasidic discourses that speak about that. And so I, I'm, I might as well actually, you know, since we're on the topic, I'll, 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 sometimes, sometimes it's helpful to create a framework, even though it's not a full explanation, because it allows you to put different seemingly contradicting ideas in different mental boxes. And that at least gives you some clarity. So there, there are actually three levels of mitzvahs. I don't mean three levels of observance of mitzvahs. I mean, the mitzvahs themselves actually exist on three different levels. Um, and if you look in the Torah, sometimes the mitzvahs um, are referred to as the mitzvahs of Hashem, the mitzvahs of God, mitzvahs havaya. Sometimes God takes first-person ownership of the mitzvahs and he says, mitzvahisai, my mitzvahs, okay? And, and then there's the idea, which you mentioned, is that, you know, on a very basic level, a mitzvah is a commandment because God is your king. God is, you know, your sovereign. God, and therefore, you have this sense of loyalty and fealty to him, and, and, and that commands a certain degree of obedience, right? And so in Chassidus, it says that there are actually, therefore, three levels of mitzvahs. There's what's called mitzvah samelech, the mitzvahs of the king, mitzvahs havaya, the mitzvahs of God, and then mitzvahisai, my mitzvahs, where, where God is taking first-person ownership of these mitzvahs. Um, and which, and the way these different explanations of the mitzvahs and the different levels of the mitzvahs have different interactions, both on their effect of the person and what a person is motivated what they think they're doing when they're doing a mitzvah okay so when you're do, doing a mitzvah because a mitzvah is a mitzvah of the king you're actually doing something different or connecting to a different dimension of the mitzvah than when you're doing the mitzvah because it's the mitzvah of god 
which is then me then have a different out when you're doing them because they're God's mitzvahs they're, or they're his or they're my mitzvahs where, where he's in the first person. Now, in this very chapter that we're in, you actually have all three of these things alluded to. So when you're doing mitzvahs because you love Hashem, okay, um, they are, then, then the mitzvahs are, um, then the mitzvahs are called the mitzvahs of God. And I'll explain to you in a minute why that is. But then when you're talking about the negative, the, the, the doing the mitzvahs because you're, you don't want to rebel against the king, then they're called the mitzvahs of God. They're the mitzvahs of the king, I'm sorry. And there's an actual difference. And I want to, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. The third level, the idea that they're called, the God, first person says, they're my mitzvahs, mitzvahs, I'll address later. Okay. So the idea would be like this. If you love someone, as we mentioned earlier, you want to be with them. That means you want them to be present, right? You want them to be manifest. You want to be with them. So there has to be a way in which they are present. And so the idea of the mitzvah savaya, this is the way in which God is present. So it's on the one hand God, but it's on the other hand the way he's present. Okay? And that, that's the idea. Like, what is a body? A body is a way of the soul being present. Now, If you think about that, what that means is that the mitzvah has to have two elements to it. It, on the one hand, has to contain God. But on the other hand, it also has to have a, something that I can relate to. Just to think of a very, of, of just, just, just to think of a, of a, of a very simple example. Um, if you can contain God, the way your body contains you, right? You are where your body is, right? Like if you don't want to be in a particular place, you kind of have to move your body around. You can't just like leave and leave the body there, right? It's a very straightforward thing. I'm not, it's not, I mean, it's a profound thing, but it's very straightforward, right? Like if you don't like being, I don't know, in, in, in a particular place, for whatever reason, you're going to have to move the body to get out of that place because you're in your body, right? Or if you want to be in a place, you're going to have to put your body there because your body contains you, right? Um, and, you know, the body can do a better or worse job of that. Like when you're sleeping, it doesn't do such a great job of containing you. When you're awake, it does a better job. When you're sick, it does a poorer job. When you're healthier, it does a better job. When you're a child, it does a worse job. When you're a mature adult, it does a better job. You know, because when you're a child, the totality of what you are can't really come out. When you're an adult, more of that can come out. Okay. Anyway, so let, let's so so if if, if, if you want to be close to somebody, um. You, you, you want, you, you want, you, you, you need, you need them to be present, but you also need to be present in a way that you can relate to. Okay. So for instance, let's say I really love somebody. Um, say I love my kids, right? Theoretically, just for argument's sake, just as a purpose of illustration here, right? Um, and 
I really want to spend some time with my kids. So I decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, ha we're going to, um, like to have my four-year-old, we're going to go learn Tanya together. We're going to spend some time together and learn Tanya. How's that going to go? Not so well. Why? Because while I am present in the learning of the Tanya, and she's technically there, but that is not a conducive way for me to reach her, for her to feel like, like, we're, like she can't feel my presence via learning Tanya. On the contrary, she feels a, a sense of removal from me. Now, if I were to open the Tanya, we would just go through identifying the letters, then she would feel my presence. So if what's motivating you to do a mitzvah is a desire to be close to Hashem, then you're looking at the mitzvahs, how they're limbs of the king, and it can, the limbs of Hashem, it contains him, but it also has to bring him out in such a way that, that, that you could, at least in theory, if you were refined enough, appreciate. And by the way, that means that every mitzvah has a different quality to it, right? There's each mitzvah brings out a different flavor, so to speak. Right? Being with somebody is not just a black and white proposition, right? There's being with someone in different ways. And so different mitzvahs are different ways of being with God. And to the degree that you're sensitive, it feels different. Just to use a simple example, um, some mitzvahs, some mitzvahs are much more about being with God in a way that removes you from the world. And other mitzvahs are about being with God in a way that, that God is with you in the world. Just to give you an example of each one. The mitzvah of the, 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 the mitzvah of reciting the Shema, right? What do we do when we recite the Shema? We physically cover our eyes. Right? The idea is that I'm with God and I'm not with the world. So my being with God entails shutting out the world. Right? On the other hand, okay, there's a mitzvah, say, to give tzedakah. And that's very much being with God while being engaged with the world. Right? Giving tzedakah means acknowledging the, 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 the lackings that other people have and appreciating that it is proper, it is right, it is just for you to take of your money, and as Altar says, even when it's uncomfortable to do so, to ensure that others have. And that's a way of being with God while being within the world. So just, those are not the same, they don't have, this, they have the same quality of being with God. So even if you are able to have the sense of being with God in the mitzvah, and you love God, you want to be with him, so you want to do a mitzvah, the way you are with God and God is with you in, say, reciting the Shema and giving tzedakah is not in any way the same. And the more a person is attuned to the, 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 I hate this word, but we'll use it anyway, the spiritual quality of the mitzvah, the more every mitzvah has its own flavor. Okay? And it's such the way that the limbs are distinct, right? The eyes are not the ears and the feet are not the hands. Okay. But then... If you're doing mitzvahs because God is your king, then on a certain level, it doesn't really matter. Like the mitzvah is the mitzvah. Like who cares, right? Because the basic idea is, as he says, that the issue is there's a fear to rebel against him, okay? And so on that level, there's a, there's a, there's a sense that, that, that there's not a difference between one mitzvah and another mitzvah because the bottom line of a mitzvah is, are you 
acknowledging God's sovereignty? Are you acknowledging God's role as king, or are you rebelling against that? Um, and let's talk about that. Let's, uh, let's talk now about that. Um, and then we'll get later, we'll talk about the, the, the other level of fear. Okay. So if God is king, then, then why would you be afraid of rebelling against him? So, or to bring generally, why would a person be afraid of rebelling against the king? So the analogy is used is as follows. Um, the king, as I mentioned before, the king is the heart of the nation. So if you take that analogy quite literally and you say, well, why would a particular limb, let's say, I don't know, your toe, not want to like cut itself off from the heart? Why, why would your toe have that interest? And the answer is fairly obvious because if the toe gets cut off from the heart, the toe will die. Like it, literally the lifeblood of the toe is via the heart. Right? And so... There's a very interesting observation in, 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 in Halacha, which is that if you look through the Torah, different sins have different punishments. But one of the myths in the Torah is to appoint a king and there's who to obey the king. The punishment for disobeying the king, for rebelling against the king in Torah, is capital punishment. And it doesn't matter what you, what you did disobey. And the explanation in is this idea that if the king is the lifeblood. If the king is, is the one that creates the, the, to the degree that a king, a human king can do, the degree a human king can do it, but obviously that's limited, creates the stability, creates the, 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 the livable reality. If you rebel against that in a certain way, you're, you're committing an act of metaphysical suicide. You are denying something. And that's even more true when you talk about God being king, where he's not just governing the world and influencing the world, his influence actually generates the reality to begin with. So, Rebelling against the king means you cutting yourself off from the source of what's real. Right? And, 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 and there's a certain sense of like, how could you possibly, how could you, po if, 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 if there's someone who is, who, is, who is that significant, that all of reality its existence, the structure, the definitions, purpose, um, meaning, all of these things are derived from his influence and his influence alone to rebel against that, to, to, to deny that, to reject that, means you're rejecting reality itself. And that, 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 that fear is the fear that a person doesn't want to reject what's real and what's true. Like, this, God is, God is the source of what's right. God is the source of what's real. God is the source of what's true. I don't want to reject that. I don't want to deny that. I don't want to rebel against that. Not just I don't want to, I'm afraid to do so. It scares me. The gravity of what that is scares me. Not the punishment that would come afterwards. The, what does that mean? And and when a person feels that when a person when a when a person feels that that, that that God really is sovereign and God is really king, then the significance of not transgressing a negative mitzvah is is not that this in some way brings me closer to God, but if I but if I God forbid transgress this, I have cut myself off 
from the source of what's real, from the source of truth, from the source of goodness, from the source of reality. And, I, and a person who feels a sense of attachment, a sense of respect for what's real and what's good and what's true and what's, what's, what, 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 what makes reality real, a person who has any sense of, 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 of acknowledging that reality is, 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 is an important thing, is a true thing, then how can, they, how can they just disregard that? How can they just spite that? Right? That's why rebelling against the king is such a heinous crime because it's, it's not that you did something wrong. You've undermined everything. And in that sense, a mitzvah is a very different thing. A mitzvah is simply, you know, a, a mitzvah is simply a way of, 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 of demonstrating your ongoing allegiance. It's not a way to be closer to God in that way we described earlier with the mitzvahs are the limbs of the king. So if God is the source of what's good and what's right and what's proper, and God says, this I find abominable, this I find disgusting, this I find unacceptable, a person feels, who am I to possibly mess up reality, to, to, to corrupt reality? How do I, where, where do I get the chutzpah to do such a thing? The, the, the audacity of it should scare a person. That's called fear of rebelling against the king. Later on in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe actually brings a lower level of fear that's not mentioned here, where he says, you just don't want God to see you do something wrong, right? This is like the fear we have of other people, that we value other people just because they're other than ourselves. That in itself gives us certain respect for them. And we don't want to do things that, that, are, that are immoral or improper while the others are watching. And so later on in time, he says, look, if you can't even get to this level, at least appreciate that God is real and he's watching you. And at least, you know, feel like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't steal while somebody, you know, you go, the people, they steal all the time. Yeah. The, 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 the Gemara tells us that, that, that most people want to commit um, immora, Im, uh, 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 acts of, of sexual immorality and don't. And most people want to steal and do. Um, it doesn't mean most people rob banks. But if you think about it, how many times have you taken something which isn't yours just to borrow for a minute and then forgot and didn't bring it back? A pen, you know, people do this all the time. Small little taking, you know, using other people's things without asking. Oh, minor forms of theft. Right? So imagine like, you're, imagine like you're, 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 like you're sitting there and you're at someone's, I don't know, you're meeting someone's desk, right? Um, and there's a pad of paper and all of a sudden you want to write something down. And they're not in the room, right? So you reach for a pad of paper, reach for their pad of paper, take off a piece of paper, take their pen, and you're going to use it. Now imagine as you look at the corner of your eye, you see like the secretary just glaring at you, watching you every moment as you take the paper without permission. You would feel very uncomfortable and wouldn't do it, right? Because like you didn't get, like, I'm sure the guy would give you permission, but you didn't get the permission, right? So there's the sense of like you don't do things that are like even mildly improper when someone is looking at you. Another layer says, look, even if you can't respect God as king, at least respect him as having as having some reality of another mind. Okay. But the idea of the midst of being a king is that these are that 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 violating the mitzvah is 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 rejecting this role that God plays as the source of reality. 
And where do I come off with, with, who do I think I am that I can just like waltz into God's world and start messing things up? Okay. That, that, that sense of, that sense of here, that sense of fear, it doesn't make the act of the mitzvah an act of coming close together. It's an act of respect. It's an act of acknowledgement. It's an act of, 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 of deference, but it's not an act of intimacy. Whereas in, when the mitzvah, the, the positive is being the limbs of the king, is that the mitzvah is meant to be in a, a way that Hashem and the person become closer together. So you're, the, what's motivating the mitzvah is different, but also what a mitzvah means is different. That's the difference between saying it's the mitzvahs of God, the limbs of, limbs of God, versus it's the mitzvahs of the king. And, and these are different ways of people viewing God. So absolutely the case. A person that has this attitude, God is the source of reality. God is the ultimate. God is, you know, all that is is by virtue of God's influence. And how dare I go and mess up God's world? How dare I cut myself off and, and, and deny the truth? You know, that's, that's the fear of rebellion. And it's not the fear of the consequence of rebellion. There's a whole genre, right? So, you know, in, in, in literature, of someone who has this sense of loyalty to their king or their commander. And the thing that makes them fear is the fear of rebelling, the fear of, 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 of denying that person. Not even, even if they can get away with it. That's not the point. It's not a fear of punishment. There's something else, though, which he mentions here, which is this fear of the, which is when you feel in the presence of the greatness of somebody. So if, imagine there was someone who you really admired. Like you admired them for their own, you know, moral superiority, their own achievement, not necessarily because of their influence on your life. But you look at this person and this is, this, this person is, 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 is more, embodies what a, what a person ought to be. And how would you feel doing something that they disapprove of right in their front of their face? Right? That shame, that discomfort, that's this deeper fear. That you, you have the sense that God, you have this, the, the, the sense of the divine greatness and you're in the divine presence. How can you do something? It's not because of God's role in reality. Because you have a sense of, of what makes God himself so great. And you have a sense that you're, you're in his presence. You are in front of him. Um, and and, and th- th- that, th- th- that sense where, where, a, person, where, where, a, person, um, where, where a person feels that there, there's no place for me to like, you, you, you have a little bit of this, a tiny, tiny little bit of this. And, and you know, sometimes you meet somebody that you really admire and all of a sudden become tongue-tied. You're not afraid they're going to do something to you. But, but you, you, be, you just feel this deep inhibition, like where do you fit? How can you? All the more so do something you know they disapprove of. So that's that deeper fear. And, and really to have that sense you have to have a sense of God's greatness beyond reality, which again comes after, you know, doing a certain degree of Torah and mitzvahs properly as one should. Yes. Um, when, 
we had this happen in my family that one of the kids, uh, after visiting the dentist, offered the dentist a lollipop. Um, and it was like a very embarrassing moment, um, obviously, because it's the dentist's office. Um, is that related to this shame of like, obviously on a much smaller scale, knowing that like the dentist stands for a certain standard of health and the lollipop is just embarrassingly not? Yeah, yeah, in a very minor sense, right? Yeah. People, this happens all the time, is that people, people feel uncomfortable. There's a natural feeling of uncomfortable uh, when a person is in the presence of some kind of a professional. It's a, a known thing. Like people want to make, people are very uncomfortable letting their doctors, therapists, lawyers, accountants, as a generalization, like see their frailties because the, the, the profession gives off the impression of greatness, even if the actual person doesn't have any greatness. You just put a white lab coat on somebody and all of a sudden people feel like they count for more. But, but that's just tricking the senses about something that is actually true. Some people really do count for more in a certain sense. And um, yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. So those are the negative things. Now, at this point, before we go forward, um, we have to have a little bit of a, uh, of a discussion to understand the place of mitzvahs up till now, because what the Alter of wants to do at, at this point in the chapter is actually kind of flip things on their head. And to understand how something is being flipped on its head, you first need to understand what was the initial perspective. So... If we, if we zoom out for a second and we look at the Tanya, the Alter Tanya, person says, I want to come close to Hashem and I want to know how to do that in a way that's belavavcha with your heart to have a genuine relationship with God, right? Not just that I'm performing rituals, not just that I subscribe to the beliefs, not just that I'm counted amongst the community, but actually I have a deep, intimate, personal connection with God. Right? That's, that's, the, that's, a, that's what the Alter Rebbe is trying to explain, how that is accessible and very accessible to each and every Jew. And in doing so, the Alter Rebbe um, revealed to us that we have a godly soul, which is capable of having an authentic conception of God, an authentic sense of who God is and what makes God so amazing and so wonderful. And that that godly soul also has the the, 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 that conception is meaningful enough to the godly soul that it, it, it naturally is aroused towards feelings of love towards God, a desire to be closer to God, and feelings of fear, feelings of smallness relative to God, like we've been discussing. And then we've learned that those feelings don't get their, are, 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 they get their full manifestation, they get their, they, 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 they're, um, they're only complete when they're clothed, when they're properly garbed in the mitzvahs, because the only, the, these feelings, like all emotions, demand expression. They demand fulfillment, right? If you feel something, you need to express it. You need to, you know, and, and, and the way that these things are, 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 are expressed and housed and contained in our life in a, in a sustainable way is the mitzvahs. And so the role that mitzvahs are playing is the fulfillment of the inner emotional life of the Jewish person. If you want to think about it, just a very simple analogy. Um, what is the role 
of a birthday card. The role of a birthday card is to complete the picture of how you feel about somebody and want them to feel. And in order to like bring that all about you, you have to do something in, in the world of action. Now, I don't mean to say that everything about a birthday card parallels a mitzvah. But what I mean to say is, if you take a birthday card, in and of itself, the birthday card is, 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 is something that is complementing and completing something that already exists, which is the relationship, which is how you feel about that other person. But that's where it gets its meaning. As Alterbeck self clearly said, that when you do mitzvahs, what does it mean to do a mitzvah in truth? Is that you want to be close to him. And if you do the act, you light the candle, um, or you, you put on the tefillin, or you immerse in the mikvah, or you make the bracha, and it's not because you want to be close to Hashem, then in some sense it's not really a mitzvah. Because a mitzvah is an act of coming close to Hashem. And you're not interested in coming close to Hashem. Um, and in a similar way, right, one can even make the same argument about the negative mitzvahs, right? If I don't eat pork because I don't find it appealing, I don't. I mean, I grew up eating kosher, and one of the things about people is that often if they don't grow up eating a food, especially the certain kind of temperament, they have no desire to eat that food, right? It's not that non-kosher food is not appealing to me, right? If you, non-kosher food that is similar to the kosher food I grew up eating, I'm all down for it. I mean, I won't do it because, you know, God said no, but like, I'm not interested in eating pork and I'm really not interested in eating shrimp or clams or any of those other disgusting things. But you can't really say that I right that 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 I am actually heeding God's commands. I'm obeying the dictates of the king. I'm not really right because this by the same token that I don't eat, you know, by the by the same token that I don't eat all of those other foods. There's plenty of kosher foods I don't eat for exactly the same reason. I didn't grow up eating them. So then, it's not really that my actions have the significance of a mitzvah unless they're motivated by that. And so the, 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 the way, the, it's not that the mitzvah is irrelevant. It's that the mitzvah derives its relevance from the subjective experience of the Jew. Because I love God, that's what makes my putting on tefillin every day meaningful. Because I fear God, that's what makes me abstaining from let's pick a food that uh, eating non-kosher hamburgers meaningful. But if you take away the love and the fear, the act in itself is devoid of content, devoid of meaning. Not that it's irrelevant. It's critical, right? A person who says, I love somebody and I don't do anything to be close with them, that's meaningless. That's stupid. That, 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 that's false. A person who says, I feel a tremendous amount of, of respect a tremendous amount of loyalty, but it doesn't inhibit me in any way. It doesn't, I don't feel bound by that in any way in terms of my behavior. That's also meaningless. So it's obviously the physical observance of mitzvahs and thought, speech, and action are critical, but the, the, the order of the way the meaning is, of the meaning of the significance is that the significance is derived from how I feel about God, and that's what lends significance to the mitzvah. And if you think about it, right, um, 
clothing as as significant, but the significance of clothing derives from is derived from the person, right? Because people are significant, and the role clothing plays for people, that's why the clothing is significant. And we said mitzvahs are compared to clothing. So no one's saying clothing is unnecessary. No one's saying clothing isn't important. No one's saying that clothing is not, it, 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 clothing is very, very significant, but it derives a significance from the person. Similarly, our understanding at this point is that the mitzvah, whether the positive or negative mitzvah, it derives its significance in your connection with God from how you feel about God, which is derived based on your perception of God. So those, my perception gives rise to my feeling, which gives significance to my observance. That's, if you follow the line of argument in Tanya at this point, that's the, that, that is the, the structure of where he's going. And now, um, at the paragraph begins with the word now, the Alter Bakshi wants to flip that on its head. Yes. So by that mashal, it sounds a little bit like doing tefillin stands or handing out Shabbat candles is like buying a bunch of like, let's say, extra large bright orange t-shirts and handing them out to strangers, knowing that most people aren't really, don't have a body to put in the extra large bright orange t-shirt, but like maybe someone does, but for the most part, why are you handing them out? Well, I, I just said, this is all the understanding up to this point in the chapter and the altar is going to flip it on its head, right? And so one of, but the reason, in other words, one of the, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a joke, but there's a saying, which is how do you know the difference between whether the rabbi is speaking to an Orthodox audience or to a non-Orthodox audience? So if you speak to an Orthodox audience, you have to create a problem that then is resolved in your speech. There's a big question, and this is how it's answered. But if you're speaking to a non-Orthodox audience, you just explain the idea. Um, the way the Torah is structured is that problem resolution, followed by another problem, followed by a better resolution, followed by another problem, followed by an even better resolution, on infinitum. And so if you grow up in that kind of structure of learning, like the, the rabbi will spend a half hour explaining a certain idea in order to show why it's problematic, in order to show why this is a better idea or a complimentary idea, right? But if you <laughs> teach something to, the, to someone who doesn't grow up with that, it's like, like, well, what are you, like, you're saying the opposite of the point. You learn Gemara, this is one of the hardest things that people encounter if they didn't grow up learning Gemara, is the Gemara spends most of the time exploring the idea that will necessarily have to be rejected in order to show why this idea ultimately would be rejected rather than just telling you the actual thing that we actually hold by. So in this case, there is a truth to this idea, 100%, right? That the significance of my mitzvah is how it, as how it completes and fulfills my emotional experience vis-a-vis -vis God, my love or fear of him, which is derived from my own reflections on God and my own perception of God, right? Which was chapter three, which I have the capacity for because of my soul. So soul to mind to heart, to the garments of the mitzvahs. And that is definitely true in terms of your subjective experience of the mitzvahs. What the elder wants to say is that's only one angle on the whole thing. And therefore it's actually going to be wrong to conclude that simply because the mitzvahs are the garments for your emotions, they complete your emotional experience. They think that their, their significance is derived from your emotional experience. That's actually an incorrect conclusion. 
But it's a reasonable conclusion because subjectively that is how we experience it. All right. Now, for the last few minutes, we'll start this paragraph. These three garments deriving from the Torah and its commandments, although they are called garments of the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. Now, what does he mean, although they're called garments? This is the point of truth. Although they're called garments, garments derive their significance from the wearer. The human being is significant, and his lacking that the garment is filling is significant, and that's why the garment is significant. So even though these garments are called garments, implying that they are of lower status than the actual soul and its experiences of knowledge of God and love and fear of God, and that its significance is only because it complements those and completes those. Nonetheless, their quality, nonetheless, is infinitely higher and greater than that of the Nefesh, Ruch, and Neshama themselves. That actually, the garments of the soul are on a higher level than the experiences of the soul, which is a complete inversion. And I can't emphasize enough how much of this is an, how much this is an inversion. So before we explain why that's the case, I want to, especially since we have like the last 10 minutes of class, I want to I explain a little bit about just to, to make a, 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 a structure to understand this. And we use an analogy. When you are, there's a, there's a concept which is, is a very profound philosophical concept. I think many of you are familiar with this. It's called an arrow. You ever seen an arrow? It's a profound philosophical concept. The way it works is you have a piece of paper or a board, whiteboard or a screen, and what you do is you draw a line, and then you make a little, you know, triangle at one end of the line. It's a very profound philosophical concept. I'm not being facetious. What is the arrow, a symbol that it represents? What does that arrow represent as a concept? Movement. Movement. You mean like me getting up and going to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee? Like that kind of movement? It could, but does it represent other kinds of movement? Direction. It implies, yeah, it implies direction. There's, 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 a, there's an order to the relationship, okay? That, 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 that's obviously physical movement, but there are other things. So for instance, um, one of those things is that you have what's called um, the, arrow, the arrow of knowledge, the epistemological arrow, which means how you're not, the direction your knowledge goes, okay? So let's use just a current event. People are getting sick. We know that, right? There's a virus. We know that. Which direction does the arrow point? People getting sick points then to the virus. So we move from knowing people get sick to knowing there's a virus or reverse. We know there's a virus and therefore we know people are getting sick. Which way did it work? That's another aspect of the arrow, but which way does it work? How do people, what do people know first and what do people know second? I mean, we first found out, I think most of us, that people were getting sick, then that there's a virus. But if I were, if I were to organize it in my mind, I would definitely do virus and then an arrow to people getting sick because of causality. Oh, so this is what's called, the, this is the, 
was called the asymmetries, fancy words, the asymmetry of the epistemological arrow to the ontological arrow, which basically means you, you, the arrow of how your knowledge moves is inverse from how the causality works. You know the effect, and then you learn about, the, from the effect, you figure something out about the cause. But, the, but in terms of reality, it's actually the reverse. The cause precedes the effect. So if I say that, that if I make a chart, and I don't label it, and I just put on one side people getting sick, and then I put an arrow to virus, that's right. And I have another chart, and I put virus, and then an arrow to people getting sick, that's also right. You say, well, which one is it? And the answer is, well, it depends what perspective you're talking about. If you're talking about our ability to know, then it goes sick leads to virus. If you're talking about reality, it's virus leads to sick. It's not that one of these is right and one of these is wrong. It's that they're looking at things from a different perspective. So now, if we're going to talk about your experience, emphasis on your, your experience of the significance of a mitzvah, how does the arrow work? Knowledge of God, to love and fear of God, to the performance of the mitzvah. That's how it works. If we are going to talk about your subjective experience of the significance of the mitzvah, it works exactly the way it would seem that the mitzvahs are mere garments. They complete, they fulfill, they, 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 they round off the whole picture, but it actually starts with my awareness of God achieved through my own reflection and pondering and contemplation, which leads to my desire to be close to him, my fear of him, which needs to be manifest and contained in a sustainable way in my life, and the mitzvahs achieved that for me. But that's talking about my subjective experience. But there could also be the reverse, where there could be an actual objective significance to the mitzvah that is greater, that is greater than my than, than, than what's actually I'm able to perceive through this flow from my knowledge to my feelings to what I, to the action of the mitzvah. And in that sense, it's the reverse. The mitzvah is having a causal influence on me rather than I'm bestowing significance into the mitzvah. And so it's not that, it, it, it's not that this first way of thinking was wrong. It's that that first way of thinking is only talking about the way we experience it it is not talking about the actual objective reality of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make sure it's not too hard. Okay. So what we're going to learn, so what we need to now learn is what is actually a mitzvah, not in the context of you, the doer of the mitzvah, what is a mitzvah objectively. And when we understand what a mitzvah is objectively, it should become clear that the significance of the act of the mitzvah doesn't really derive from how it serves a completing and fulfilling role to my emotional experience. Even though that dimension of the mitzvah is still there and is in fact a critical dimension of the mitzvah. A mitzvah done properly has both the inherent ontological significance that we're going to learn about, and it also 
has a subjective experience to the person doing it, a, a subjective significance to the person doing it. Right, that these two things are not, it's not, a, it's not that it's a contradictory, it's yes and, but they're from, operating from two different perspectives. Yes. Can you, I don't know, maybe next class, but can you speak to how that relates to the Balshuva experience? Where I think for many of us, like we did first start doing mitzvot and then move towards the I love Hashem thing. So yeah, how that works. And like, if, are we in touch with like some deeper, I don't know, is that like some other level that people who are from, from birth don't access or is that like everyone's experience? So I will, I will, what I will do is that when we get, um, to, Close and that probably will not be in the next class, but I will address it before the end of the chapter. I think I want to get more of what, what actually mitzvahs are in more of an objective sense rather than the role they play subjectively in our feelings towards Hashem, which is what we're talking about up until now in the chapter. And once we've done that, I don't know exactly where along line, but I will touch on both on a few things. Why some people are affected profoundly by the performance of a mitzvah. Others are not. Um, we'll touch on some of that. Because um, it, it does play a role, though he doesn't directly address it here. But it follows from some of the things that he says here. Okay. But it, it's very important that in going, that understanding that, it, that, that at this point, where the paragraph that says now, or in the, in the Hebrew, where he says, Vihine, there is a total shift in the way we're thinking about what mitzvahs are and their significance. Okay. Um, and I want to be clear. In both versions, how you feel and that you do the mitzvah are both critically important. That's never, uh, that's never the issue. The issue is which way you draw the arrow. Is it how I feel gives significance to what I'm doing or what I'm doing is somehow supposed to causally influence something about how I feel and what I know. Okay. So we'll hold it here and I will see everybody, those of you who have your cameras on, I guess. I will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure.